everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Watchmen. I'm Gav. I'm Dave. I'm Joe. I'm Alex. And just like Watchmen, we're society's only protection. Really? Yeah, well, it works a bit better than Big Meets Bigger or whatever Rampage (laughs) was, to be honest. Uh, So if you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There'll also be a load of other hilarious things like a caption contest, a quiz, which I haven't done for once. So yeah, this will be be very interesting because Alex is doing it. But there's also some hilarious songs, some biffy impressions and lots and lots of banter. But before we go into the bulk of the show, let's have a little bit of news. Nice. I did it. Something like that. Bruce, Bruce, what was that? No idea. Good one. Did we say it sounded like Alien? Um, Well, your impression. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure there was a few people it could have been. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Brando. It got a bit Brando esque. Um, so what we do here is we all go around in a circle and we talk about the most newsworthy, noteworthy, whatever items this week in our segment called The News. Uh, so without further hesitation, Joel, what is your piece of news for the week? Well, I saw a few trailers, actually. I watched one. The first one was the new Jurassic World trailer, which I actually wouldn't recommend anyone watching. gives far too much away in terms of the film, but it it pretty much confirms what I think most people knew. There's a new hybrid dinosaur, which is the um, Indoraptor, which is like a, a smaller version of like Indominus Rex, but apparently one of its abilities is that it's got like complete sonar, like a bat, so it can see in the dark. It doesn't need any type of sight. Okay. Um, so yeah, it shows off some of that stuff and also uh, more of the plot. But the other trailer that I watched was um, The Equalizer 2. Oh, nice. So Denzel's back, he's killing more people with nail guns and um, DIY weapons and all that type of stuff. So it just looks like more of the same, really, but, you know, you can't be a bit Denzel. The second you? one. No. Are you, are you must be extremely excited on that, Gav. I, I can't wait. The world's greatest actor killing people with a nail gun. It's... <laughs> I mean, what, what what is not to like about that film? I thought The Equalizer won, even though it was a bit, I don't know, was it a bit formulaic? Um, no, I don't think it was, actually, because I kept on guessing that something was going to happen, like, oh, God, this is going to happen, and then it didn't. So I think they kind of, they took the formula and they tweaked it a little bit. But it was very John Wick-esque. In fact, I think it came out at, at the same time, same time as John Wick, didn't it? I prefer John Wick. I feel like I'd, I'd, I like the Equalizer, but it wasn't. It didn't blow me away as well. Like I, if it had not been another sequel, I, w- I would have been okay. I think. But, really? Yeah. It, sorry, Gav. <laughs> Don't worry. At least at least the rock's not in it. It's true. <laughs> Don't crush my rock dreams again this week. Um, yeah. So I, when it comes to Jurassic World two, I'm not that bothered at all. I didn't like Jurassic World one. You may. No, <laughs> from a previous episode, uh, and I, I, I thought Jurassic World was a sort of essentially a rewrite of Jurassic Park. And judging by the trailers I've seen, I've, admittedly I haven't seen this latest one. The second Jurassic World film, it just looks like a rewrite of The Lost World. Did you get that feel from um, it? it? Kind of. The thing with Jurassic Park is, if they're going to keep making them, they need to change it up because at some point. It's even got to that point now, you know, people would have learned the lessons, you know, if after they've made a park, you know, fair enough, they make another one, but then that one closes down again and then they want dinosaurs back. It's kind of like, well, 
come on now you, do you know what i mean it's hard to know where to go from it but I, I haven't seen the latest trailer but you know the trailer just before that where that that seemed like from just the trailer it didn't seem like it was going for a bit more of a horror you know with the music in it yeah well apparently it is going to have like a darker twist and the new trailer there is a lot of it in in darkness um and like the the new ability that i mentioned being able to you know sense people or whatever in the dark i suppose lends itself to that as well but just like the predator just like the predator <laughs> it's also got a laser beam for eyes <laughs> <laughs> now we've got a movie that, <laughs> that is where they're going to go with it eventually i think it's got to be dinosaurs with laser beam for eyes or something like that i don't this it seems you know if they keep making new dinosaurs it seems a little yeah, like I said, they're going to have to refresh the formula at some point, I think. But then, again, I don't really know what else you could do. They're going to keep making them, so... Yeah, they are. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for that, Joel. Um, on to my piece of news for the week, and it is that Universal has won the bidding war for Stephen King's Tommyknockers. Um, so it'll be produced by James Wan, who is the director of Insidious, uh, Saw, Conjuring... And Ray Lee, who produced another Stephen King adaptation, It, which ended up grossing $700 million uh, worldwide. Uh, so I think people are just trying to get on the Stephen King train at the moment, uh, it seems. Again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think with the success of Stranger Things, I know it wasn't a Stephen King adaptation, but it was very heavily influenced Massively, by Stephen King. Yeah. And obviously with the success of It as well, I think people are just snapping up all of his previous works. Um, they are actually teaming up with the original producer, um, Corey Snitsky, uh, who produced the original adaptation. And because it wasn't really that much of a critical success, Snitsky ended up saying that it wasn't his fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> so that was a wrestling pun. You know, it's... <laughs> why do we even bother doing wrestling puns with you guys anymore? It doesn't... Anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for it. What would be even better is if they brought Jimmy Smith back because Jimmy Smith makes anything great. I agree with that. I, I, I'm kind of... <laughs> yeah, sorry, nothing said don't know who Jimmy Smith is. Who, who is he? Jimmy Smith, uh, he was he was um, in Sons of Anarchy. There's the last no. thing in the fumble. The bad guy from Dexter Series 2. Mm. Series 3, I think. Or was it Series 3? Right, just, he's just a great guy. He's in West Wing... He was, he was the, the president after Martin Sheen. And oh, West yeah, Wing. okay. No, Santos. No, no. I yeah. think I'm there. Yeah, there yeah, 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 right. yeah. Okay. I'm there. Right, uh, I'm just glad. I'm glad now. <laughs> we spent a good minute. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy okay. It was uh, necessary. I'm quite excited about the film, though. Tommy Knockers could be quite a good one. It's quite a scary one as well, so I think James Wan might be quite What's a good one to about? bring on Aliens, Tommy Knockers, mm-hmm. yeah. typical sort of yeah. alien invasion one, but it's quite, oh, yeah, so it's, it's quite yeah. a dark one. I can't, I can't, it's been a few years since I've watched it, but is it a case of people in town just start acting a bit strange and jimmy smith is like the sheriff or something he's trying to figure out why everybody's going a bit bananas and then he finds out that it's because there's an alien spaceship that's landed nearby it's been ages since i've read it but i think the, the main character is someone who's like terrified by nuclear holocaust oh, so yeah. it's, it's quite and he's like an alcoholic it's quite it's not an easy character to do oh, it's yeah. a massive book as does well, he so. get on a bike and cycle past the moon with the alien in his basket <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's, uh, I, I, mean, I used to say I used to love it when I was a kid, but I watched it again quite recently, and it, you know it wasn't scary, but that's not nothing new for me, I suppose. But there was this one really great scene where one of the main characters owns a lot of dolls, and 
there's this like scene where it kind of goes to her shop or her house or whatever and you've got all these dolls and then one of them moves slightly and you know she th- thinks did one of those dolls just move yeah. and then and then i think they all end up killing her but uh, <laughs> I, I think that spoilers. And, <laughs> spoilers. sorry sorry guys spoilers but i think somebody like james wan directing that especially that scene yeah i think that could be amazing just i think james wan is just such a great director he's got a really really good eye for horror and if he was to take on the directing duties as well as the production uh, production <laughs> I think it could be actually a really good good yeah, film. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely going to say it. Uh, so, Dave, what is your piece of news of the week? Um, I would like to bring back the Dave obituary section oh, and pay tribute <laughs> to Arlie Ermey, star of Full Metal Jacket, who, oh. uh, who sadly passed away. Yeah. Uh, he was best known as playing the drill instructor in Full Metal Jacket, um, the ghost of a drill instructor in the frighteners various other drill instructors over the years <laughs> but uh, he played authority figures so he played policemen army officers these sort of things he was an actor of limited range but he knew that yeah, he knew and he was doing. he was quite he never set out to be an actor he was a legitimate army drill instructor and he just got offered this thing he, he kind of rode that for all he could and just made a career for himself was quite happy to be typecast i think and you know what he could act he genuinely could yeah, act yeah. Like the Rock, he's pretty iconic. Oh. As well. <laughs> he's pretty iconic in that role as well. I mean, oh, it's absolutely. Like, yeah. He's the drill instructor. That if you think about what's the best drill instructor in any film, I think it's got to be from Full Metal Jacket. So, yeah. that is well, The Rock movie. hasn't played the drill instructor yet, so just wait. <laughs> now, I, I remember reading something a while ago talking about how he got the role in Full Metal Jacket, and Stanley Kubrick had an actor in mind. I think that he wanted to play the drill instructor, but the, he wanted to show the actor something to give him some motivation, or you know, this is how you act as a drill instructor so somebody told him about Arlie Amy and he asked Arlie Amy to send him a video and he sent him a video I think it was something like 10 minutes of Arlie Amy just berating the camera uh, without repeating himself without kind of hesitating at all whilst being pelted by oranges and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Stanley Kubrick was so impressed by this, he gave him the the, the part there and then. Wow! I mean, you know, the, 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 the guy was pretty intense, but he was very good at doing what he what he what he does. And I, I stand by; he could act. If you look at a Mississippi Burning, which was a, a Where film, is he in that? he's the mayor. Oh, so Mississippi yeah. Burning film about these FBI yeah, agents yeah, played yeah. by Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. The, film, true yeah. story that they uh, investigating yeah, yeah. the murders of some black riot activists, and he plays the mayor of this town and uh, kind of corrupt mayor. Yeah, he's really apathetic, yeah, and he was good. Yeah, if you look yeah. at that scene when he—I won't say who abducts him, but he gets abducted—and he's basically begging yes. slash bartering yeah, for his yeah, life. Yeah. He could act. That's acting, yeah. Yeah, he really could good. really act. Yeah. So uh, check out that film, and if you look, if you want proof. Uh, so before we move on Alex uh, is there something that you want to discuss oh yeah no in my in my segment film feels have you got my have you got my uh, my stellar introduction there yeah <laughs> living up to that introduction uh, again I'm just making up this segment as I go along so this one I was thinking um I was just thinking recently which is the most naturally scariest actor as in like when you think of an actor and you think just naturally creepy and scary who springs to mind i've got one for me if you can't think of it off the top of your head like as in maybe like christopher walken yes. sort of i mean that is yeah. exactly my one just someone who even when i was thinking christopher walken because even when he's doing comedy he's so menacing even in his comedy yeah and his, that is know, true yeah I'd, I'd say someone whose name i just mentioned a few seconds ago willem dafoe yes oh, yeah. dafoe it, it well. just it, an intensity, a, yeah, yeah. a brooding intensity there behind Willem Dafoe. Even when he's playing nice guys, yes. there's a menace. There's to just the man, a natural yeah. menace yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah. Willem Dafoe, Chris Walken. I think Ray Liotta as well. Yes, uh, he's he's it's got really really intense eyes, and I think when he when he wants to turn it up, yes, to the max, he can. He can. 
and it can be very frightening. I would also say Robert Mitchum, like back in the oh, day, God, actor, yes. Yeah. Yes. like Cape Fear, and what's that one? Where Night he's, of the Hunter. Oh my God. He's terrifying. That is possibly one of the most terrifying performances ever. But the thing so. about, you know, Walken and, and Willem Dafoe, they look like quite intense, they look quite scary. Robert Mitchum looked like a regular yes. guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. but there was something, there was a definite X factor, so je ne sais quoi kind about him. Well, that just was, a deadness, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah terrifying. there was just yeah. like a soulness to Robert <laughs> yeah, Mitchum, yeah, yeah. who apparently was a really nice guy. Yeah, really movies, nice. But yeah, 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 but yeah, terrifying actor. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, Alex. You're very welcome. Uh, Paul, just before we move on, can can anybody smell that? <laughs> I, think, I think I can, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Hopefully the rock oh, didn't listen to that shit. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> it's, it's hard, man. I, I've got big fingers and I've got to play it at an angle so I get it into the microphone. You know what? Screw you guys, the thing honestly. Is when you're practicing, it's note perfect. Because no, no. well, it's always in front of me. You know, next time, right? I'll, 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 you know what? Screw you guys. Anyway, uh, so rock news today is that Edgar Ramirez and Jesse Plemons have been cast to play the villains alongside The Rock in the film The Jungle Cruise. Anybody heard of that? No, The Jungle Cruise. He's he's playing a villain. No, no, The Rock's going to be playing the good guy. So Jesse Plemons, who is the guy we were talking about the other other day, he was... um, he played the Nazi in Breaking Bad. He was also in Game Night. Oh, yeah, yeah, And the yeah. captain from that Black uh, Mirror episode, Star Trek. Uh, so so they've been cast as the villains in this new film. It's called The Jungle Cruise, and it's an adaptation of a Disney theme park ride. Oh, wow. So I'm a bit... Just like Pirates of the Caribbean, though. Well, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you kind of think to yourself, how much story have they got there, really, to be working with? But then again, look at Pirates of the Caribbean. That was based on a ride and that became one of the most successful films for Disney, I think. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so I'll give you a little bit of, of an insight as to what it's about. The Riverboat Captain, who has been cursed with immortality. Sound, sound familiar, guys? Uh, who takes Lily Horton, uh, played by Emily Blunt, down the river on her quest to search for the Tree of Life. Um, so I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> no, I, no, mainly because like, I do. You lost em- me at Tree of Life. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say, if Emily <laughs> wants to find the Tree of Life, look no further than our hit list, eh, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would watch anything with Emily Blunt in these yeah. days, so I'm, I'm there. Yeah, well, but see, me. you say that because Emily Blunt, I think, is a fantastic actress. You've got The Rock as well, who, you know, is just cinematic gold. Yes. So you've got those two big, massive pluses, but you've also got one big, stinking negative in there. Jude Law. And the fact that, no, much, much worse. Unfortunately, the painfully unfunny Jack Whitehall is going to play Emily oh. Blunt's brother. Oh, wow. So. Oh, wow. I mean, you can't have it yeah, all, can you? No, you can't. For, for every for every plus, there's always a negative, yeah, isn't there? Is so, yang, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what are your thoughts about Jack Whitehall? Mm, I like him I in just, a league of yeah. their own, but everything other than that is utter shit. Fresh, <laughs> I, fresh meat. I quite liked him in that when he was, you know, back in that was. A yeah, while I mean, ago. I get that's, but not in big. Fi- I don't know. He might do it in big films. Who knows? But he's just going to be the English eccentric, yeah, yeah, foppish character, isn't it? I watched that um, Bounty Hunter program that he was in, and it was just sort of like an impression of Hugh Grant sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's probably not his fault. It's just the writing, you know, you've got to play some sort of like zany, kooky sort of oh, terribly, terribly English person. And yeah. it's probably just poor writing and you know, he hasn't been given a lot to work Tech-cast, with, yeah. but still it, I'm not holding out hopes for that performance, to be honest. Anyway, so thank you very much everybody for the news. Let's, let's move on. Eh? Uh, so as I said before, this is films on trial and we basically put a film on trial uh, this week. It is the 10 of Watchmen and in the role of prosecution and trying to condemn the film to the shit list is going to be Joel in the role of defense and trying to be, um, trying to place the film 
film on the hit list is going to be our good friend Captain Dave and then acting as a character witness basically lending their genuine opinion beside either part of the argument to give it a bit more weight is going to be Alex and then I'm going to be playing the judge and the judge's role is to listen to the arguments and decide which list the film should be based on based solely on the arguments and not my own opinion okay so before we go on with that I think we should give the listeners a bit of an idea as to what the film's about so let's spin that uh, wheel of impressions much better than my the <laughs> don't take it personally okay so can i have a can i have a drum roll please guys <laughs> oh dave <laughs> okay um okay right so have we got to figure out what he's going to do it in um what do you reckon uh rorschach is that how you know pronounce his name yeah yeah okay dave in the style of rorschach can you please give an overview of the film and try not to make it Australian. Like <laughs> <laughs> I did have a crack. Or Ray, or Ray Winston. <laughs> so how does Rorschach speak? Is it kind of like a Christian Bale? It's very gruff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's gruff. Uh, in 1985, yeah. where former superheroes exist, the murder of a colleague sends an active vigilante Rorschach into his own sprawling investigation, uncovering something that we could completely change the course of history. It's as pretty, we know it pretty good oh, Jesus my god Dave. like you need to stop what you're doing and go and work in trailers like, seriously can, can I change my answer about the one of the most intimidating actors and just say it's Dave can I change my trousers <laughs> <laughs> it's okay guys R- Rorschach's a good guy it's okay, okay. right okay so um, let's kick things off uh, and uh, I think I'm going to start with Dave. Can you please start your defense? Yeah, certainly. I would like to talk, first and foremost, about this as an adaptation. As we know, Watchmen is an adaptation of a 1986, and it ran from 1986 to 1987, uh, miniseries, graphic novel, written by Alan Moore, a very famous comic book writer uh, behind From Hell and V for Vendetta, and it was <coughs> Vendetta, excuse me, and illustrated by Dave Gibbons, who did a great work on it. It, it. The work was so good on the original that when Zack Snyder, who directed this, came to write his storyboards, as everyone has to do for a film, he actually used the the, the frames from the comic book, oh, wow. yeah, to to get his storyboards together. And it shows that he was very reverential towards this original source material. People have cited this as quite possibly the most accurate, the most faithful comic book adaptation of all time. And a lot of people, I've just got to say it now, have said that it's also the best. Now, the book itself is revered. Let's get that one out there right now. This, is a, this was a big deal when this came out. Uh, Time did, uh, Time Magazine, no matter what you think about it, you know it is quite well respected, did a poll, I think in 2005, of the great, the 100 best English language novels to be written since 1923, I think it was. I don't know why they chose that date, but they did. And this is the only graphic novel to make that list. Really? Yeah, really, really. This, this is revered. This is a big deal, this book, so you had to get it right. And I think Zack Snyder understood that. He was a fan of the books himself, and he had a lot of uh, a lot of mail from the fans, shall we say, when it became apparent mm-hmm. that this film was actually going to happen after a few years of development hell, shall we say. People not really knowing what direction to take it. People being, a bit, I think, a bit afraid to take on this kind of project. When he did, he got a lot of fan requests saying, oh, can you cast so-and-so? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I think he took a lot of it on board, as we'll come to in the in cast and characters, which I think we're going to touch on later. He, he took on a lot of what the fans said, and he made this film... Um, with the fans in mind, I think no matter, although it was going to be universally released and it's for everyone to enjoy, 
the last people he wanted to upset with this film's release, I think, were the fans. And that shows this was a very loyal adaptation, and he's done it very well. I want to talk about Zack Snyder's direction. It was brilliantly directed. He really gets a great deal out of the cast when you think you've got these two dimensional, literally two dimensional characters on the page in front of you. You don't know how they're going to talk. You don't know how they're going to act, how they're going to change. And I think he really helps his cast through it. I mean, at the end of the day, the motivations of the characters, one thing that can be said about them, like I said, we'll touch on this more later, is that one thing they all seem to share, all the core ones seem to share, is that they have quite a nihilistic view upon life and upon society. It's very deep. Although their their views on nihilism and their views on, on the role of a superhero changes, they all share that nihilism in one form or another. And I think with characters like that who are, like in the case of Dr. Manhattan, who's just like the only one with superpowers due to a, a nuclear accident, he's the only one who kind of has gone apathetic, shall we say. He doesn't care. As he started off as a human, and because of these superpowers, he has transcended into this godlike character, and over time, his human emotions have started to falter and, and, and wave away a bit, and he's become apathetic to the cause of humanity. And you've got other characters that I think uh, are, are similarly nihilistic. Like I said, we'll go into this later, but he gets the most out of his cast that he can. He didn't want to use green screens. So there's plenty of scenes where he's actually asked for sets to be built because uh, Warner Brothers, I think it was Warner Brothers behind uh, distribution, said that they wanted green screens. They thought you'd get more out of it, this big cityscape. And he insisted on using sets wherever possible. Sometimes green screens had to be used, like on Mars. You can't build Mars. But wherever possible, he did try... Paul Verhoeven did for Total Recall. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair play, fair play. But maybe for a couple of few-minute segments... It wasn't worthwhile building Mars. If your whole film's going to be there, then fine. But uh, he used green screens a little, but not as much as he could have done. And I think the... uh I think the costumes were particularly good on this. The soundtrack, he picks a good soundtrack. There's some original music in there, which is very good, but also you've got some contemporary tracks, which I think really fit the bill. Like Gav played, played uh, The Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan before. Um, he picks a great soundtrack. That, that song really does sum up the feel of the opening credits, you know, this, this kind of alternative reality, which people say, oh, it's an alternative reality, he's rewritten history. It's like every superhero book does. You know, you're not going to have Superman or Batman or Spider-Man without, you know, the president getting involved at some point, like what's going on in our city. Gotham just seems to be a law unto itself. Every superhero film or adaptation is set in an alternative reality, essentially. It's just Alan Moore makes it quite clear that uh, that, that is the case in this instance and does... <coughs> rewrite history to a degree so what you have is a very accurate retelling of a revered novel and i don't see how it could have made a bad film out of that well very very passionate speech from dave there goosebumps have gone so good luck following that one joel um seriously though uh, joel can you give your prosecution please i also want to hear a little bit about this um alternative reality that dave's been speaking about was it uh, captured as well as Dave was suggesting, or did it leave a little to be desired? Well, uh, my points kind of followed directly on from Dave's, really. So this was described as unfilmable before its release. Too difficult, really, to translate from the original source material into like an adaptation, just because the book was so revered. And I'd already read the book kind of a few years previous. And I think I'll, this is marketed as a superhero film, really. And to be honest, there's no kind of aspects of that. I think if you were a superhero fan and you went into it, you know, thinking this is going to be a superhero film, you'd be pretty disappointed, I think. And there's a lot of material in there which really isn't anything to do with superheroes, but I'll kind of cover that later on. 
Um, so I think, you know, as I said, it, it's unfilmable. And I think in many aspects that actually turned out to be true. And it's not really a good thing. You kind of almost feel like when you're watching this, you're actually turning the pages of a comic book. But the, the good thing about the comic book is you can pick it up, you can put it down, you can read it at your own pace. And there's a lot of kind of thick material in there and it's kind of very dialogue heavy. Whereas obviously with the film, you can't do that. And kind of the film kind of lumbers from one chapter to an, to to another. Um, and like it worked in the comic because all the readers got like some backstory each month of, of the characters and uh, the film just kind of simply grinds the plot to a halt in, in certain instances. And the flaws with the comics are really kind of evident uh, in the film. And as Dave said, this is kind of the most uh, faithful adaptation, you would probably say, of a, of a comic book. But um, the kind of opportunity was there to do something a little bit new. I don't think, you know, if you look at uh, modern superhero films, you know, like the the newest Spider-Man, for example, obviously they took the best parts of the comic and then they went in a completely new direction with it so that it, you know, kind of made it fresh. It kept it, you know, exciting for the viewers. And I think that was a, a really big missed opportunity uh, for this film. And as Dave said, again, you know, it's, it's long been heralded as one of the greatest graphic novels ever written. And when you read the synopsis of what this story is actually about, it sounds, it sounds exciting. And the graphic novel... It's a really kind of cold book. It's the one where uh, the characters are really interesting to ponder um, and they're kind of deconstructed genre archetypes rather than people that you truly care about. And there's a lot of political topics which are covered in the in the kind of graphic novel, which again are, are almost lost in the film. Um, and I don't know whether that was to make the film more appealing to the masses or something like that. I'm not sure, but they lose a lot of the the feel from the comics, I think, in the in the adaptation of the movie. And the, again, some really weird uh, differences between the two. The comic visuals, uh, even if you just flick through the book there, that Dave's, that Dave's actually brought with him, well prepared. But, Exhibit A. I'm <laughs> <laughs> they're really actually very striking. There's a lot of heavy, heavy colour in there. There's a lot of like bright reds, bright yellows. Um, and Zack Snyder in his typical style makes everything dark and there's almost like this blue twinge uh, to the film, uh, which again was a very, very strange choice, uh, especially when the graphic novel is so kind of heavily covered. Uh, but the biggest problem with the film is that you just find yourself detached from the event. You find yourself bored and because of it, you don't really uh, kind of care to see what happens to the characters in the film kind of cumulates with a tragedy on a global scale, you know, the the nuclear event. And yet you feel kind of next to nothing about it. And then again, after it's happened, you don't really feel anything during that time as well. You know, characters talk about the horrors of what's happened and the, the sheer scale of the crime. And it's just completely lost in a rather really unimpressive, I would say, special effects sequence. And for me, that's the movie's kind of greatest sin. It's it's almost two hours of build up for a payoff that really fails to generate any real impact. Compare this even to something like a family friendly Marvel film, and you know you at least kind of know that there's something on the line. Even if you think of like the Avengers uh, with Infinity War or something like that, you know that there's a lot at stake there, and you never really understand that in in this film. And you know, as I said before, the characters, Mister Universe aside, they're not really superhuman and yet they're like completely overpowered uh characters i mean in the film they're marketed as superhuman but in the actual novel they're not actually superhuman they're just normal characters and yet they're like kind of jump in like 20 foot in the air 
they're like punching through walls, all this type of stuff. And it's just completely ridiculous for what it's actually meant to be. Um, but the biggest thing for me was there's two main points in the film and it, everything kind of hinges on those. And the first one is the murder mystery. So at the start, obviously the, the comedian is killed. And in the film, it's it's one of the worst kind of murder scenes that I think I've literally ever seen. You can see who the character is because his uh, physique, because of his uh, his face, it's not covered properly. And you can literally tell who it is from that moment on. It's the only person in the film who's got such a unique physique. He's got like a really tall, he's kind of like a gangly guy. Uh, and it's just very, very obvious that he's the he's the killer. I always pronounce his name wrong. Osmandias, is it? Osimandias. Osimandias. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very, very obvious. And like I said, even without his physique, his face isn't completely obscured. Um, and then even without the clues, it's very obvious that he's, that he's the villain. His, he's just completely miscast his accent, his appearance, his appearance, sorry, it all just lends itself to this typical kind of villain stereotype. The role really needed to be somebody who was around the same height as everyone else so that it wasn't so obvious maybe somebody kind of more heroic and self-righteous as he is in kind of the comics, whereas here it's just a completely miscast uh, character, in my opinion. The songs, as Dave said, there are some some great ones, such as the opening scene, but there are also some really, really laughable ones. And I think this has been a heavy criticism when you read any type of, uh, you know, the reviews online. Uh, there's like a love sequence with Hallelujah playing in the background. Uh, there's Jimi Hendrix in there. There's all sorts of really, really bad decisions kind of running uh, running through the film. And it's stuff like that which kind of pulls you out the film. Every time, you know, it's a really quite a long film for a superhero film. And every time it does pull you in, something like that happens to just pull you back out again, whether it's like a cheesy image or, uh, you know, stupid song or something like that. And then just two final points. There is lots of sex and violence in the in the comic and in the film, which again might shock people because if you're used to like a typical superhero film, this really isn't it. Like there's the film that the scene that I mentioned before with Hallelujah in the background, but also um, the character Silk Spectre. She's got nipples on her costume, which just are there for no other reason than for sex appeal. Uh, you know, it's like an oversexualized. Uh, it, it worked for George Clooney and Batman <laughs> and Robin. <laughs> yeah, so, it, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, when, especially when you look at the comic, kind of how stylized that was, there's just absolutely no need for that. Um, so just to sum it up, for me, this film fails on the two fundamental tasks. The whole kind of story of Watchmen hinges, hinges sorry, on the whodunit aspect of the story, which is Ozymandias. Uh, obviously taking the life of uh, the comedian and the whole kind of plot more or less hinges on that. And then there's the part that's kind of making you feel and understand the magnitude of what he does and why Ozymandias did it to try and like save humanity rather than, um, you know, the fact that it's just like a mass murderer type of thing. And again, the film doesn't do that. And because of that, for me, it's just a complete failure. Well, thank you very, very much, Joel. Uh, Dave, I can see you're about to rebut. Uh, is there anything that you would like to jump in on there? 
Uh, I just want to quickly, because I don't want to take up too much time, I just want to rebut a couple of points. Um, I'd say you do feel something about that nuclear event where Joel says you feel nothing. We discussed this on Rampage, where Alex was saying, what about all the people that have just been killed on a ferry, just been killed in a building? And I think Valid we, point, <laughs> Alex, yeah, valid point. <laughs> I think with these sort of events, it is easy to, like you, you, like I said, with Towering Inferno and other disaster movies, they don't show you the individuals. You're focused on a core group, so you don't feel anything for the big picture. Um, in this film, I think you do. There's a really poignant scene with the uh, with a newspaper ven- vendor and one of his regular customers who kind of bicker and argue throughout the course of the film. They're in the comics as well, actually. They cast guys that look like the characters in the comic books. And there's this bit, as the nuclear event happens, they kind of hold each other as they get drawn up into the blast and disintegrated. You really do feel something there. I do think they kind of focus on a couple of individuals at that moment, so you do feel something. Um, the, the special effects are great, I have to say. I don't think they were overdone. Um, the ridiculous violence, I want to talk about that quickly. Um, yes, it is overblown, as you would expect from a comic book movie, but Alan Moore's point when he made the novel is that he hated comic book violence. He thought they were way too violent, um, even back in the day before they did get kind of dark and gritty and what have you, and Zack Snyder shared this opinion. So when it came to the overblown violence in the original Watchmen novel, which if you flick through the pages you'll see is quite bloody, and what you see on the screen with bones breaking, both Alan Moore in the book and Zack Snyder in the film did that as a way of turning to the audience and saying, is this what you really want? Is this what you came here to see? And shame on you if it is. And that's kind of the point there. I'll talk more about uh, Ozymandias in a bit. I don't think there are nipples on the Silk Spectre costume. They're guaranteed are. I Let's, don't think so. I just... I don't want to Google that myself. Does anyone want to the nipples on the Silk Spectre? I'm not, well, I'm not going to Google... Let nipple gate commence. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to Google nipples on this. I just Google Silk Spectre. I, oh, I don't see point. them. I might be mistaken, but I don't think so. There were nipples on the Ozymandias suit. I can Google it and show everyone now. All I'm saying is this verdict hinges on whether or not there were nipples on that suit. <laughs> it's were, an important point, to be fair. There were nipples on the Ozymandias suit, and that was done uh, as Zack Snyder kind of giving the finger to the Batman and Robin George Clooney franchise uh, film. That was him kind of saying, you know, this is when superhero movies go wrong. And it's kind of like, this is a bit of an in-joke sort of thing. That was why that was done. Um, and yeah, that's, I think I'm pretty much done. The blue tinge, I'm surely, is, is Dr. Manhattan. The blue tinge of the film that Joel described, not Mr. Universe, but Dr. Manhattan. He <laughs> was getting confused with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who at one point was, uh, could, was have played could have Dr. played Manhattan, Dr. Yeah. Manhattan, so maybe... Uh, and then, he, and then Batman and Robin, he played another blue superhuman. Yeah, he was like, oh no, there's no nipples in this film. <laughs> uh, okay, Alex, right, I, I need some opinions sure. here. Uh, one of the questions that I want to ask you is, Joel mentioned that it was very much like in some instances, scene for scene, the comic book, and there wasn't much of an, like there could have been an opportunity to go in a different direction and just use the graphic novel as an influence and sure. done something really original. But Dave said that it actually, that, that worked well for it because it stayed faithful to the graphic novel and that it was for the fans. So well, what do you think? Do you think it should have gone in a different direction? Do you think it, it should have um, kind of stayed faithful or loyal to the graphic novel? Uh, did you think it worked? I, uh, like, it's funny. It was, it was really interesting listening to those because I kind of agree with both of them in a way. Um, you know, I, I think I, I knew it was a very revered comic book. I've never actually, I've never actually read it myself. Um, and Joel said, you know, if you go in thinking it would be, you know, going into the film thinking it would be a different, it'd be a superhero film. I think I knew from what I'd heard just a little bit that there was going to be a slightly different take on a superhero way of doing it, just from knowing a little bit about the comic book. Um, 
I would say, actually, it makes a bit more sense listening to those two arguments. I do think maybe they tried to stick a bit too much, I would say, to the comic book a little bit. And since the comic book's quite long, um, that sometimes the Watchmen does feel a little bit clunky in bits and some feel, some bits feel a little bit better developed than other bits. So is it Rorschach? Yeah. Rorschach's character is really good in it. I really like his scenes. I think, And I think his character is sort of brought on very well throughout the film. There are other ones, like, is it Ozymandias is the really quick guy, right? He, yeah, fairly quick, he's the, uh, the really intelligent one yes. with like, the obsession with Alexander the Great. And yes, okay. I, I felt like, considering he had quite a key role in the film, I don't feel like he was developed particularly well. So, and, and I think it's just because possibly they didn't, they might have adapted a bit more than just stu- sort of stuck to the source material. I feel like if you could have seen this film before it was edited, it probably would have been like the entire comic book. I think maybe it's sometimes better to adapt than just go straight to the source material. And I think in some ways it might have worked a little better. I know, like, but then again, you can see fans would have gone crazy if you start pulling characters out. So it's a hard, it's a really hard one to do. But yeah, just in bits, it is a little bit clunky. But I, I agreed with a lot of Dave was saying, I think Dr. Manhattan, is it Dr. Manhattan? Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Yeah. Manhattan is a super interesting character. I really liked every scene he was in. I thought he was fantastic. And the idea of him becoming apathetic to humanity worked really well. Um, like I would actually, you know, in they're both talking about the end scenes. I'm going to agree with Joel a bit more on this one. I didn't actually feel it was much of a payoff and I didn't think they really, it's hard to land a nuclear explosion, but because you are centered on just a few characters, there's not really anyone else in the film, like as in humanity isn't much in it, which I understand they can't do. I didn't, it didn't really, it didn't really feel like there had been a massive nuclear explosion somehow. I didn't feel like I didn't get that at the end of the film. Um, and yet, it, and it is quite long. But I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, and I did like a different take on superheroes. I feel it's like we definitely need that in our superhero films. So I don't know. I hope that's helped a little bit, Gav. You know, no, that was terrible to be honest, mate. Okay, good. <laughs> I'd rather you just I didn't even bother speaking. We'll just edit it out. Yeah. Later. Okay. Cheers. Okay. Uh, right, Dave. Just just to clarify on one point here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you did say that he Schneider 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 Schneider. He decided to stay faithful to the graphic novel for the fans. How did the fans respond to the film? Did the fans like it? Yes, from what I can, I don't want to make an overgeneralization because I got called on that on Tree of Life. <laughs> but without making a sweeping generalization, yes, from what I've seen, um, reading, uh, looking at YouTube videos, reading critics review, amateur critics reviews, I should say, the fans, people who were familiar with the source material beforehand, loved it. They were very grateful to Zack Snyder for what he did. And I just like to say he, he adapted most of the novel, but he did make some changes. I just want to say he did take a degree of poetic license just to make it work for cinema. He did have to change bits. He did have to drop huge parts of the story to try and make it work. Um, so although very reverential and not so much that the fans were put off in any way, he still stayed faithful to it, but making the right changes, I feel, where they needed to be made. I just want to slice that down the middle a little bit. The stuff that I read was of the obviously of the other side, but also there's a lot of bits in the film that are exactly frame for frame, completely the same. Like the ending is completely frame for frame the same. You could read the comic and have it in front of you and it would be exactly the same. But then just at the last second, he will just change it and it'll just be like a mindless change, which just completely doesn't make sense. So it's kind of like he stays completely faithful and then he goes 90 degree angle and goes and goes off on one. So for me, the bits that I read actually angered a lot of people with some of the changes that he did make because it's kind of like either be faithful or don't be faithful. 
I, I, so when it comes to the ending, uh, well, I read about it when it first came out. Isn't the ending like drastically different? Yeah, he did. That, to, the ending's the bit he changed. So, so that was me thinking maybe, uh, maybe that's why Alex, you were saying that you didn't kind of get a, a sense that there had been this devastation. And Joel, you mentioned it before as well that you didn't kind of feel like any, you know, there'd been. Uh, there wasn't any big payoff and you felt like you know humanity was never at risk and then when the nuclear war did happen you didn't feel like it affected too many people uh do you think that is because that's an original bit that he's put in because the original ending in the graphic novel is so different um i personally i think it's because it's not developed enough like i think as i said in the comics month by month you get to care for the characters and you see all their motivations and that type of thing in the film it's just that there's just not enough time to cover all of it um and i think because of that by the end you almost kind of desensitized to a lot of it and like i said there just really isn't that feeling that a nuclear war has happened and pretty much all of humanity is gone it's just not there like Sorry, Dave. no, no, go, go, go. Uh, just like one thing, massive spoiler coming up. Have you way, mentioned everyone. Rampage again, man? <laughs> <laughs> just like massive spoiler coming up. But like I was saying, I was very into Rorschach's story. Very into every scene he was in. I thought, especially in the prison, it was over violent, but quite well done and like into it. And actually, at the end, like he, you know, it doesn't end all so great, and it's quite surprising that bit. Mm. But it didn't actually make me feel much, and I and I was a bit surprised. It was kind of like, oh. I don't know, it just sort of happened, and I'm not sure if that's... Maybe that's what they were going for, but I would have preferred it to be a bit more of a... A bit more cathartic, I suppose. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, a... we're going to touch on characters yeah. in a bit. Yeah, we'll okay, right, right, yeah, right, but right. I just want to clarify the ending, because I didn't get a chance to, to mention it. The, the original graphic novel ending, it's he, Ozymandias fakes an alien invasion, basically, and then his idea to unite Earth, all these warring powers in the middle of a Cold War, against a common enemy... They sacrificed those scenes of destruction with the fake alien invasion from the comic books to make Dr. Manhattan the bad guy. He is the one they're going to focus all their attention on because he fakes a nuclear explosion that looks like Dr. Manhattan has done it, not an alien invasion. And I think what worked in the graphic novel is great for scenes of destruction, but they sacrificed that for something better in the film where it brings his character around full circle where he ultimately makes this sacrifice to take himself off as the bad guy. He loses all the reverence that he has held and he goes off, takes himself off to Mars and sacrifice it for the greater good for peace. So I think it brings his character full circle better in the film than maybe it did in the book. Okay. Hey, wait, thank God. Order. <laughs> uh, right, right, right. This was relatively civilized compared to normal. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a few weeks. Yeah, we're calm. Shut uh, up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, right. Uh, Joel, and now it's your point. Yeah, you're going to talk about um, casting I haven't, characters. I haven't got a massive amount to say, to be honest, because I want to kind of keep it brief. But, you know, like Alex said, I think Roadshack for me uh, was the only kind of character that I cared about. And I think he pretty much steals the entire film, really. All. I felt personally, as I said, I read the comics, albeit a long time ago, but I felt like in the film, a lot of the characters had almost like a a little part of themselves missing. And I felt like uh, things were put into the characters to make them a little bit cooler in in terms of the film. Um, And I felt like a lot of the performances were, were really bad. Like, again... I'm not sure of this name. Is it Malin, Dave, or Malin? Malin Ackerman, I think. Malin Ackerman. I think he is the probably... She, she. she sorry. <laughs> she, she's the weakest link. She just 
delivers a really wooden performance. And like her biggest scene is the bit where she's kind of pleading to uh, Dr. Manhattan to save the world at the end. And it, it, it comes across in the comic book as this like really moving, uh, important and, and passionate scene. Whereas in the movie, she just comes across as like really shrill. She's nagging. Um, and she's just a really kind of bad adaptation for me. And like I said, Rorschach for me, probably apart from maybe Jeffrey Dean Morgan is, mm. is, is like the only good part of the film. I thought Ozymandias is, uh, it sounds bad to say, it, but I think he, he in the, in the film, comics he's slightly different in the movie to me he came across as slightly camp almost like the fight scenes at the end when he's fighting with uh Rorschach and I can't remember the other dude's name Night Owl Night Owl but like they're just not really very well done uh but overall like there's really bad wigs there's bad makeup um and uh like the makeup is so distractingly bad and obvious that it's it's really strange to me because when you look at something like Zack Snyder's other films like 300 which is probably one of my uh, kind of favorite in the action genre like how kind of stylish and how almost perfect it is uh in in every way uh especially with the visual side of it to compare it to this it, it just falls down a little bit flat for me so yeah the characters were not that greatly done i think roshak as i said was was the was the shining light in this one okay uh thank you very much uh dave well your points about casting characters please okay i'm gonna try and keep this as brief as i can um i disagree i don't think there is a weak link in this film i think there's two actors that shone a light that really excelled and i think the rest of the cast did the job required of them. They did a decent job. I don't think everyone gives a bad uh, performance. I disagree about Marlon Ackerman. She was the only member of the cast to be nominated for a Saturn Award um, for her performance here. I think she actually did quite a good job. Um, Matthew Good as Ozymandias, I thought was actually a very good choice. It was a bold move. The studio wanted Jude Law and oh, Zach, thank God. Zack Snyder put his foot down. He said, well done, Zack Snyder, man. <laughs> I have never liked Zack Snyder more than just right now. <laughs> he wanted a Matthew Good because he was so tall. He wanted wanted this kind of like striking he said i want someone who's very tall handsome and yet beautiful at the same time and he said matthew good just fit the bill it was like he was what even though he was an unknown actor it was a bold move he was what they were looking for matthew good really got into the head of this intriguing character he decided although because when you read the comic book you don't get an idea for accents you don't know what kind of voice people have got matthew good decided that ozymandias would speak with a german accent in private and put on an Americanized accent for when he was in public as this kind of like uh, business figure. Because he thought he's going to be German, which is what the, the character's origin is, but he thought, you know what, he's going to Americanize himself mm. for the sake of this. He really got into the head of the character. Ozymandias um, is the name the Greeks gave to Ramesses II. You can tell he's obsessed with empire, with Alexander the Great unifying the warring world, and with Ozymandias or Ramesses II doing the similar thing. Um, and you can see that this superhero would give himself that identity, maybe not being aware of a Percy Shelley poem also named Ozymandias, which is about the futility of empire and how it corrupts the people at the head of them. The, the vicious irony of the, of the character there, which kind of, um, preludes to his fate as it were, and what he, the unspeakable thing he does. Um, I think that Patrick Wilson as night owl was another bold choice, not a well-known actor. They wanted John Cusack, I think was in contention oh, for that one, but he went, holy flip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they went for Patrick Wilson. And yeah, I think Cusack put himself forward cause he was a fan of the books actually, but, um, they decided against him. They went Patrick Wilson. And I think does a very solid job. He's of all the superheroes. Night owl is the one that doesn't really have a nihilistic agenda. He's the one you can possibly most relate to because he just seemed like a bit of an everyman. He's kind of, I think someone described him as an, imp- uh, an impotent Clark Kent. Yeah. 
<laughs> when he's uh, out of costume. You can see he's become overweight and he's depressed and whatever. Now that he's not got his superhero agenda, um, I think that they did the two. I wanted to say I said there were two actors that are a shining light, and I agree with Joel. Jackie Earl Haley as Rorschach is incredible in this. Now this is when I said Zack Snyder bowed to the request of the fans. Fans wanted Jackie Earl Haley basically because he looks like Rorschach with the mask off. Right, yeah. And then Jackie L. Haley, who was familiar with the books, I think he was the only one of the cast that were eventually cast who was, um, he heard that the fans wanted him and he put in a request, I believe, to meet with Zack Snyder and discuss it. And the rest was history. He got the role and he does a sensational part in this. It's hard to act beneath that mask, that, that, that bizarre Rorschach mask uh, of like the black and white, the ink blots moving and what have you, which kind of shows that Rorschach's nihilism is about... Evil is evil, good is good, black is white, uh, black is black, white is white, never the two shall mix, there's no grey. That kind of reflects his outlook on the world. And I think, I think Jackie Earl Haley gives a fantastic performance from behind that mask and in the few scenes where he's not got it. That scene at the end before he dies. It's just, it, it's like Alan Moore said, he didn't realize Rorschach was going to die until he was getting towards the end of the novel. It's like, he can't survive this. He won't mm. compromise. There is no way he can survive. And sure enough, there's this bit where he refuses to back down to the rest of the superheroes. Uh, he's set on his ways he, and he calls them all soft, you know, for not, for not, for, for not, but for betraying their convictions, as it were, and ultimately pays the price. And he knows he's going to do it. And there's that bit in the snow where he's just screaming at Dr. Manhattan, do it, do it. And he's like, he's, he's on the brink of tears. Almost he knows he's going to die. Jackie L. Haley nailed it. And I think the other actor who was fantastic was Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He plays the comedian who is the vilest superhero ever seen on, in ink or on screen. He is a repulsive man who does evil, unspeakable things under the mask of being this government sanctioned superhero hero agent and it's just he's a horrible man who does terrible things but the, the, the way jeffrey dean morgan plays him there isn't glimpse of humanity in there his view is also nihilistic but it's it's one of this is the american dream that's what patrick wilson shouts him at one point what about the american dream as he's firing rubber bullets at protesters and it's like look at me it came true with a cigar in one hand you know a comedy pin on the other shooting at protesters like this is the american dream and it's like, the reason why he calls himself the comedian life is a joke what has happened to civilization society is a joke you can either be a part of it or you can be the comedian and make the joke happen and i think one of his best moments on screen is the scene with Moloch. If you guys remember him, he's an old supervillain who is now retired and is living in a little bed set, which is oh, quite, yeah. quite a funny v- imagination of what, what happens to supervillains once they're released from prison. This is their life. And there's a bit where he says he awoke to find the comedian crying at the end of his bed. And Jeffrey D. Morgan is in tears, thinking about all the evil he's done. There's this horrible scene where he shoots uh, a woman in Vietnam who's pregnant with his child, and she cuts him along his face uh, with a jagged bottle. And there's this bit where as he's crying, the tear follows the scar track on his cheek. And it is so well done. So brilliantly shot. That's actually not in the comic book. That was Zack Snyder that decided to, to have the tear follow that track. And I think Jeffrey D. Morgan's portrayal of him as this vile man, but yet there's something about him. It's like when he says certain things about the American dream and how life is a joke, look what's happened. This is a joke. It's kind of like every now and again, this horrible human being who you despise has a point. And you don't want to admit it, but I think some great performances in here. I would say most people toe the line. I don't think anyone's bad, but I'd say there's a couple of real gems in here. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Uh, would you say that Jeffrey D. Morgan is better or worse than he is in Rampage? <laughs> um, Performance-wise or person-wise? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that. <laughs> okay, uh, 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 Joel, do you want to rebut on anything quickly? Uh, no, not really. 
Okay, Alex, uh, anything you want to add? Yeah, just well, just just briefly. I'd I'd um, again agree with a lot of both, what both of them said. I would almost say there are some bad performances in this. I wouldn't say that there's none, but there are some like stellar ones that Dave's saying as well. And I'd say it's for me, it's a little bit more on the better performances than the not so good but there are some ones that pull it down i didn't like ozymandias is it matthew good matthew I d- good yeah I- i'm not saying he was a bad performance so there wasn't much of a character and he wasn't in a lot until right at the end so i, I don't think there was much for him to do uh rorschach was really good though so that kind of cancels that out then i didn't think this was it silk specter yeah i didn't think she was very good in it but the guy played uh, patrick wilson who's night owl like sort of makes up those scenes and balances them out so it all sort of ends up balanced and jeffrey dean morgan is very good i mean i hated him and i really kind of didn't want to watch his scenes because he's so horrible but that's the point right so yeah no i mean i'd, I'd say it sort of tips in a balance of better performances and not but there are they're not all perfect i wouldn't say Okay, well, thank you very much, Alex. Right, uh, time for closing statements, I think, guys. So anything that you might have missed out, anything that you want to say to me right now, you've got a minute to do so. Starting with Joel, I think. Uh, as the prosecution, you have a minute starting now. This is a over two-hour kind of build-up to basically a, a payout which completely falls flat. You won't really care about any of the characters. You won't care about what happens to them. And when that is the case, you're just completely removed from anything within the film. If you've got no emotional attachment to to anything, you don't care about what happens at the end, then really there's not, not that much point in watching it. It is a very, very faithful adaptation of the comic. But like I said, it's almost too faithful to the point where when tiny things are changed, it's like, well, why did you change that? You either be faithful or you don't be faithful. And I think it in the end succeeds in pleasing nobody not the diehard fans and not the kind of casual film goers shit <laughs> it's much better than a gong can we just have you go shit <laughs> right okay Dave your one minute starts now Zack Snyder's adaptation of Watchmen is like I say one of the most faithful adaptations of its source material and when you consider that that source material is revered to the extent that Watchmen is the film cannot be bad what Zack Snyder has created is a beautiful visceral visual landscape and he's injected this with some great performances from some great character actors now the rest of the performances like I say toe the line they're okay but I think Jackie Earl Haley and Jeffrey Dean Morgan shine and this is the film that made them this was a bold move casting relatively unknown actors in this film which which no one had really heard of the story before and you know you mix all that with like a, a glowing blue penis for the most of the thing and it's and you don't know what you're going to get it's a very bold move that Zack Snyder carried out here and I think um, Patrick Collin of IGN Australia of all the reviews I saw I think summed it up best when he said it's the Watchmen film you always wanted to see but never expected to get <sighs> Thank you very much, guys. This is going to be a very, very tough one, I think. Um, this has been very formal. You know, yeah. they, they were shaking hands just yeah. there. That's much better. I think that's the first handshake in nearly a year. That's the first handshake. <laughs> that's Me and Dave are pretty much always shake hands. <laughs> no, 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 no,
Alex has uh, taken up the quiz writing mantle for this episode, and I am very, very much looking forward to it. So, Alex, uh, while I decide which list this film is going to be placed on, can you please kick things off with your quiz? Well, yeah, I mean, Gav asked me to do this quiz yesterday, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries, mate, I'll do the quiz. Like, you keep going on about how hard it is. It can't be that hard. Anyway, about like an hour and a half in, I was like, shit, I've still got nothing. (laughs) It's really not that easy to do. Um... Yeah, Gav, Gav's suggestion was to do watch your crotch. <laughs> like, literally an hour in, I was like, could it work? <laughs> Just like really, really zoomed in pictures. Is it a watch or is it a crotch? <laughs> right. Anyway, so I did, I finally came up with a quiz. Okay. So, you know, go easy. It's my first one. So these are all questions about the life and times of the actor who plays Dr. Manhattan in the film. And what you're going to go and find out is, are you a Billy Crudup or are you a Billy fuck up? <laughs> yeah okay so billy crudup or billy fuck up right here's the first question are you ready um gav what is the most commercially successful film he has ever been in uh i'm gonna say watchmen okay um no, I don't think it's going to be Watchmen. Uh, I've got nothing else, so I'm going to have to say Watchmen. But I've got nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm afraid you are all Billy Fuckups. <laughs> he, uh, the best, the most commercially sex- successful film he was ever in was Mission Impossible 3. Oh, shit. Yeah. I forgot he right. was in that. Uh, I forgot it was successful. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just thinking these questions might be really hard now. Right, uh, he has done some animated work, has Billy Crudup, but most noticeably he appeared in a Studio Ghibli film doing the translation when it crossed over. Which film was he in? Uh, the Cat Returns. Howl's Moving Castle. I'm going to go with Dave. Yeah, yeah, I'm just you, guessing. <laughs> you are... All Billy fuck ups. <laughs> it was Princess Mononoke. These are really hard questions, right? Uh, he has put his ability to pick the roles that he wants down to earning money by doing what, which he has since said changed his life. Um, dancing in a karaoke ugly bar. Uh, he writes the theme tune at every film he appears in. Um, he dresses up as a camp Greek god and. Puts in a terrible performance. <laughs> no, uh, I, I want to say you're all Billy Fuckups, but to be honest, <laughs> I, I'm feeling like the Billy Fuckup. <laughs> uh, right, no, he he has been he advertised Mastercard from 1998 to 2005. He did the voiceover for all the adverts, and he said that's what allowed him to pick his roles and not get not get sidelined. Okay, uh, so he and co-star. This is a bit. This is a question I'm not particularly proud of. It's a bit gossipy. He and co-star Jeffrey Dean Morgan have both been in a relationship. With which actress? Um, Faye Dunaway. Catherine Hepburn. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is um, Mary Louise Parker, who's oh, okay. in Red Films. <laughs> yeah. uh, he declined the opportunity to play which superhero? Um, Night Owl. Oh, no, sorry. This is not outside of Watchmen. Uh, okay, uh, and I'll give he, you he declined. Cl- he declined to the opportunity to play which superhero in two thousand and three? Um, Superman in um, Superman Returns. Uh, Daredevil. 
Captain Fantastic. No, it was the Hulk, but the shit Ang Lee one. So oh well done, Billy. He would have been the worst Hulk ever. Yeah, <laughs> to, to be honest, I, I did uh, originally when I first saw him get him mistaken for Eric Banner. So do you think Ang Lee was just hiring people who look like <laughs> Eric Banner? It's entirely And possible. Eric Banner ultimately won. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I knew looking like me would pay off finally. <laughs> okay. Uh, he also did a screen test and was considered for the role of which other superhero? Scarlet Witch. Supergirl. Can we, can I, we have another clue? Um, it's a very famous one. Superman. I'm sticking with Supergirl. Batman. Yes, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Joel's a Billy Crudup, you're all Billy Ford. Yes. <laughs> Batman in Batman Begins. Yeah, Batman Begins. He did a screen oh. test for it. Do, do, reckon he, do you reckon he was the guy who auditioned whilst uh, Christian Bale was piling on the pounds? <laughs> tried to get in the sneak in. Yeah, because <laughs> Christian Bale auditioned just after the machinist, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and Christian Nolan was like, hey, you were great, but you look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go and interview Billy Crudup instead. <laughs> okay, He's great and then MasterCard advert. <laughs> <laughs> right. True or false? Uh, he has Scottish ancestry. True, I don't care. <laughs> false. Uh, true. It is true. Yes! The only, uh, the only reason I know this is because I literally spent 45 minutes trying to do a quiz that had for the title <laughs> Watchmen or Scotchmen. <laughs> I, I just genuinely had to put some of the facts oh, I just done for 45 minutes. We might minutes. have known more about that. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I had to go in the quiz. So, oh, my um, word. Okay, and the last question I'm sure you'd all be glad to know is how should you pronounce his last name correctly? Um, I can, considering you've been saying Crudup the entire time, I'm going to guess Crudup. Uh, I'm going to go Crudup. Uh, Crudup. Uh, you're all Billy Fuckups, except for Dave. Well done, Dave. No way, Crudup. 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 Yeah, we'll go. I'm taking that point. Yeah, I'm giving it to Dave. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Alex. Um, you're welcome. Let's, <laughs> well, let's leave it there. <laughs> so, so, your foray into quiz making, is that it now, or, or are you going to be back next week? Well, I might, well, I'd, you know, I'd be happy to be back if you'd have me, but I might, I might think of my questions through a little more. <laughs> oh. I was quite tired, and I'd been doing it for an hour and a half. So. <laughs> There's only so much Billy Crudup a man can, Billy Crudup a man can take. Exactly, it's quite hard to do. Right, okay, so it is time for the decision, to be honest. It's been a, a bit of a difficult one, to be honest. Um, so we'll skip to the end, would you, mate? <laughs> okay, so thank you very much for listening to everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say there's uh, some valid points on both sides, um, but to be honest, Joel, no. Right. Dave, you gave up a really good fight, and Joel was just an absolute shit, as usual. Um, no, to be honest, yeah, you did get me thinking about um, what what is better is it is it better to kind of stay faithful to something completely and have no sort of originality to it, or is it better to um, go in a different direction? And who are you going to alienate more? The general cinema goers who want to see a superhero film, or the fans who are you know completely passionate about this you know one of the best novels written or graphic novels written of all time, and. Uh, I think going into that film, if you didn't know what it was going to be about and you were expecting some sort of Batman type film, you would be very, very shocked. Uh, I know that I was when I watched it. And um, I think that uh, if maybe somebody other than Zack Snyder would have directed it, then it wouldn't have been as maybe as as liked as the fans uh, 
did. Um, so it's it's sort of like I think Zack Snyder put his his own style onto it, and Dave has commented so many times on different shots within the film, which I think probably worked really well and maybe if a different director would have been directing it maybe it wouldn't have been as as good you know because if you're saying that it's fallen down in some areas uh, i think maybe the direction is holding it up and the performances as well i mean i think everybody here agreed that jeffrey d morgan and jackie l haley gave fantastic performances you've also said some good things about other members of the cast um but you know you, you've also said that you know um I just can't stop thinking about that love scene with Hallelujah, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but then again, I keep on thinking that, well, you know, it, it could have been Jude Law. So um, <laughs> to be honest, uh, I, I, I'm I, going to tell you my opinion about, about when I saw it. I hated it. I thought it was absolutely rubbish. Um, but I'm going to put this on the hit list, to be honest. Ooh. And I, I, honestly, I, it's, it's got to the point now where I, I didn't think I'd ever want to watch that film again, but Dave, you've kind of talked me around to watching the film again, so that's what has made me decide to put it on the hit list. So congratulations, Dave. I'll take that. I will take that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so when I saw it, I was expecting sort of like Batman 2, and I was Batman like... Batman 2. <laughs> Batman Returns. <laughs> I thought I was watching Batman 2. <laughs> I was like, where the fuck's the penguin? <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I was really taken aback by it, and so some of the violence in it was a bit like it was out of the blue, and you're just oh shit, I didn't expect that. And I, uh, you, you know, it's hard to become attached to some of the characters when they are so nihilistic, as you were mentioning. And when you do get attached to the characters, uh, you know, like Warshak, it just kind of dies. You just like oh shit, you know. Uh, and I was just like, well, I'm never watching that again. It was shit. But Dave, the way you've been talking about it and the things that you've said about it have actually got me thinking like, you know what, maybe I misjudged it. Maybe now I know what it's about and I know what to expect. Going back to watch it again, I can appreciate it for what it actually is. So yeah, so well done. So genuine opinions then. Uh, Dave, uh, what's your genuine opinion? When I first got told I was going to have to defend Watchmen, I wasn't happy about it because I'd, I saw the film like Gav, didn't know what I was letting myself in for, didn't like it one bit. I watched it a second time, and you know what? I quite liked it. I then read the graphic novel and watched it a third time, and I loved it. Uh-huh. Genuinely, this film just grew on me as time went by. I'm pleased, to say, I'm pleased you've, uh, you're thinking of giving it a lo- another look in. Anyone listening who has seen the film, didn't much care for it, just give it a second shot. If you don't like it after that, fine, call it a day. But give it a second chance. Maybe familiarise yourself with the material. This is actually a good film. I'm pleased it's on the hit list. And I, I never thought I'd be saying this a couple of weeks ago when it got allocated to me to defend it. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I have come full circle on this one. The more I found out about it, the more I watched it, I really like this film. I'm behind it 100%. It, that, that's what people told me about becoming friends with Joel. I mean, just like, you know, <laughs> just talk to him again. You, you came know. to me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Joel, genuine opinion, man. I mean, you're a big superhero uh, fan, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd read and heard of the source material, and the first time I watched it was just massive disappointment for me. I thought pretty much exactly what I said there. I just didn't really end up caring about anything. But then, kind of as I got older, because I think when it was released, we were a little bit younger and perhaps we didn't really fully understand. It's a really kind of complex film, like all the political uh, agenda and motivation behind it and all that type of stuff. And like Dave said, all the um, kind of inhuman aspects of all the characters, they're just completely desensitized to what's going on. You don't really kind of uh, understand that when it came out, or at least I didn't. And it, it has grown on me a little bit, but I still don't think it's that great and i think 
like I follow this YouTube channel. It's, I can't remember what it's called, like Comic Book Den or something like that. And like they dissect pretty much every kind of superhero film or comic book, and they all kind of sit around a table and talk about it. And this film, I think, has polarized a lot of people. I think it's completely shot down the middle. I think you either like it or hate it, and I don't really think it's as I said in that little uh, kind of sum up there, I don't really think it's built for anybody in particular, like the fans or the general public. I think it's just a little bit of a mishmash of both and you either love it or hate it. But for me, I, I am kind of somewhere in the middle at the moment. Well, thank you very much for that, guys. Uh, Alex, I imagine you were pretty much... Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just you. What a man. Um, so anyway, uh, just before we wrap things up, uh, it's time for a caption contest... That's, That's so much better. Like, you keep improving these as they go on. What's my one again? <laughs> I mean, it's just rude. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, time for a caption contest. And, um, okay, guys, so, you know, I, I usually struggle with this, and uh, every week I kind of maybe forget about it and leave it to the last minute. Well, I didn't this time, and I thought, you know, I'm going to get on it, I'm going to use all the appropriate hashtags, and I'm going to, you know, see what comes about it. So, uh, this week we have... Um, 11 comments wow that's good that's yeah wow. yeah so that record yeah that is a record to be honest so guys uh right i've taken a screenshot so if you've got it on your phones now it is a screenshot of dr manhattan or mr universe as joel likes to call him <laughs> um he is blue penis guys that he calls him. <laughs> um he's wearing a, a suit i can't remember what this scene is uh, and he seems pretty angry or jubilant or it's just kind of like it looks like he's saying oh upset i'd say yeah and uh, you know he's very upset in yeah that scene. very upset, very upset. <laughs> and there's a lot of like kind of it looks like rain or maybe uh you know I, I don't know anyway it's um it's it's radiating from him so anyway uh i i'm gonna read out the captions now and you guys have just got to decide which is the best and which one will win a coveted frog-shaped chocolatey treat <laughs> Okay, so the first one is, I think I just filled the cup. Uh, hashtag Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Uh, the second one is, life should mean life. Very existential. Um, the third one is, yawn. Uh, uh, number four, when Queen Elsa comes in drunk and wants to get frisky. <laughs> Uh, next one the latest Avatar sequel has cut back severely on the CGI <laughs> um, the next one where is fucking spring <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one cannonball <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the next one is how it feels to chew five gum stimulate your senses <laughs> uh, and again say smurf one more fucking time <laughs> A lot of good ones. There, <laughs> so good ones. We might have to send out a few for those. Yeah. And uh, uh, the penultimate one here is: uh, I'm sorry for the time you're about to lose on this movie. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry, unscripted <laughs> promo cast, but it's just ended up on the hit list, pals. Uh, and the last one is: for the last time, I blew myself. Look at the rest of the development there, man. Uh, wow, that's a tough one. Oh man, that, that is tough. tough, isn't it? Okay, so what guys, was the, what was the spring one again? I quite like the spring one. Uh, where is fucking spring? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with that, I think. Either that or the uh, waves one or whatever. The hell yeah, the chewing was. gum one. I quite like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what do you reckon? Chewing gum one chewing gets mine. Gum, I'd say chewing gum, yeah. Chewing gum it's one. Good. Yeah. Okay, um, so congratulations, Matt Starfighter. You have just won yourself a Freddo. 
That's new. That's new. There are not real frogs in front of us. So, as this show's been going on, we have pulled our next film to be reviewed out of the hat, and it is the equally Marmite film of Avatar. Uh, The most successfully... Uh, well, I don't know, is it? I think it is. Is it not? No, uh, well, anyway, we'll find out film. anyway. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, it's the most financially successful film of all time, so be a good one to review. But in the roles we've got, in the role of defence is Alex. Great. Uh, great. In the role of prosecution is me. Oh. So probably not great. as civilised no, next definitely, week. Definitely a lot more shouting. Uh, in the role of judge is going to be yourself, Dave, and in the role of character witness is going to be Joel and maybe... Ozzy, um, who, as you know, over the past few weeks has, uh, has been left. in Japan. He's been in Japan. <laughs> he hasn't been there. Like <laughs> <laughs> so he will be back next week. Uh, so he'll be welcome back on our on, on our uh, uh, our sound levels. Will well, great be strong words. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I just want to say thank you very much to everybody who's listened to this show and to all of our other shows. You can catch this show and all of our future shows on iTunes, Films on Trial, and on our website, www.filmsontrial.co.uk. Why not check us out on Twitter, at Film Trials, suggest a film, and we will put it in the hat to be reviewed. Also, while you're on Twitter, check out our good friends and collaborators, Winston Sang and Ozzy Ray, at the underscore quirks, and at Ozzy Ray, respectively. Winston is the guy who does all of our hilarious pictures each week and obviously he's the guy responsible for editing the show he's our producer um and why don't you check us out on facebook on youtube and on instagram films on trial so watchmen is on the hit list thank you very much everyone for listening and we will be in your ears next week with avatar goodbye (laughs) 